0: This is Strange Assembly episode 157, Your Name Here. That's right, Strange Assembly is up for sale at least for another 10 days or so as of the time of this recording. So we're recording on Tuesday, November 4th, now through November 14th, 2014. The Jack Vassell Memorial Fund annual auction is going on on BoardGameGeek. If you go to BoardGameGeek.com, and up in the links at the top is the Jack Vassell Memorial Fund auction. You can also go to JackVassel.org to find out what the Jack Vassell Memorial Fund is. That's JackVassel, is V-A-S-E-L, .org. One of the auctions you can bid on, item number 162 in the like 32-page list of items, is getting to be a co-host on an episode of Strange Assembly and get to dictate what we're going to talk about and everything. All the money goes to the charity. The fund collects money to give to uh, gamers and their families in times of need. So it is a good cause. Check it out. It's not really very expensive right now to buy our show. So you should do that. And Jay, I think this is the part where you are somehow contractually obligated to give some put down of the show. Oh, well, if you insist. I don't, but it's just strange <laughs> that you didn't jump in to talk about of course our show is not worth uh, paying anything to to run for an episode.
1: No, no, I was just going to point out it, well, you're not paying for being on the show, that's free. What you're paying for is actually being able to set the agenda of the episode instead of Chris. <laughs>
0: What all sorts of people who aren't me get to set the agenda for our episodes? Right? Right? No? This is totally a democracy.
1: I'm going to be quiet, so I might actually get to be on another episode now. <laughs>
0: uh, well, that is J. Earl. Hello. And I am Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at strangeassembly.com. Follow us at StrangeAssembly on Twitter, and you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it if, while you're subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, you stop by and leave a rating or review that possibly lets other people discover it. So we always like that. So do you think we should go straight to the games we've been playing lately, Jay? Or do we want to marvel at the fact that I actually saw a movie in the theater?
1: Ooh, fancy. What movie?
0: Guardians of the Galaxy, which I believe comes out on iTunes TV like in a week.
1: That is an excellent choice. I did not realize that was still playing in theaters.
0: I didn't realize it still was either. I was traveling for work, and for my birthday, you were there. Was it? It wasn't last year. It was two years ago, right? I think that my wife had this thing at Dave and Buster's, and someone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and someone gave me two Regal Cinemas passes. And I just used the not- first one. I mean, and this is a full two years ago, because my birthday's in two weeks.
1: R- remind me not to have kids. <laughs> I like yeah. to go to movies in theaters.
0: Uh, yes. So, I was traveling for work, and I was done for the trip, basically. I was leaving first thing in the morning, and I'm going to get dinner, and hey, there's a Regal Cinema there, and... The passes were in my satchel, because I had also used the satchel at Gen Con, so I had brought them there on the off chance that we went to go see something when we were up at Gen Con, because, you know, we've got so much free time there. Right. So I went into the theater, and I was not really expecting to accomplish anything, because, right, all the summer blockbusters are gone, and then the bigger stuff for the that starts coming out in the middle of November or December, you know, obviously hasn't hit yet, but hey. Right. They were still showing. I went in. Guardians of the Galaxy had started about five minutes prior. Fifteen minutes, but you know, ten of that was, uh,
1: previews, was yeah. the
0: previews. So I, I actually got a private showing. I was the only one in the audience. <laughs> uh, <hey. laughs>
1: but On a similar note, I'm so looking forward to Interstellar next weekend. That looks so good.
0: Mike is seeing it right now, right? He's He is not here because he is going to see Interstellar right now.
1: Oh, I'm totally jealous.
0: What is that movie about?
1: I don't know. It's it's Christopher Nolan, something about space, and all the commercials look awesome. Who cares what it's about?
0: I don't know. I saw a trailer on YouTube for some movie about an AI. It actually reminded me of the tech demo that Quantic Dream did Mm. the other year. Uh, I don't know. But there you go. So m- marvel at yes, at the ability of children to prevent you from keeping up with, with cultural things. So I, I did see that. And then, hey, this Christmas I should finally get to see Winter Soldier and Days of Future Past on, on my dad's voodoo account. <laughs> <laughs> I had actually wanted to go get to see Days of Future Past in the theater because I'm an X-Men dork. Right. But, yeah, it just didn't happen, sadly. So, Captain America, I'm okay catching that on Netflix or whatever. But, but I had one of the CD, X-Men one in the theaters. Oh, well. So, on to the games, then. We've got seven games that we're going to talk about today. And, except for one, they're all pretty spanking new. So, hopefully this is useful to you folks. The first one is Progress Evolution of Technology. This is by NSKN Games. It was a Kickstarter earlier this year, and it also released for the first time at Essen last month. I was a Kickstarter backer, for those of you who uh, are concerned about whether or not that might cloud one's opinion. And I think that the standard description of the theme of progress, evolution of technology is a pretty accurate one, which is it's... Just the tech tree part of a Civ game. Everything you do is just you're going to play technologies, which give you some little bonuses, and then let you play later technologies more easily.
1: So so it's the best part of a Civ game?
0: I like it. <laughs> yeah. So every single thing that you do is some variation of drawing a card or just playing a card. You have a couple of variants of drawing cards, partially because the, the sort of default draw multiple cards option Ends your turn so you can't start your turn with nothing in your hand draw four cards and then go and see what you want to play you kind of have to plan ahead a little bit and then w- when you want to play a technology the way you pay for the is primarily is discarding other cards out of your hand uh, unless you have you know all the stuff earlier in the tech tree that you need and that's really primarily it you play a technology when you get the technology out it can directly be worth a victory point, it can increase one of your skills, or it can increase you on one of three tracks. And the tracks are just straight-up victory points. It's prestige and military and population, and that's just relative positioning. You know, it'll be first-place player on a track, it's 11. Second-place player on the track, it's 7. That sort of thing. The skills are all about making your actions better so one of the skills lets you draw more cards when you take more draw actions one of the skills increases your maximum hand size one of the skills lets you have more technologies face down being developed those are technologies where instead of paying for them getting them out right away you can put them face down and put some knowledge tokens on them and then you take one token off a turn when all the tokens are off you've developed the technology Without having to sink the the resources into it, you're you're taking time instead of resources. Now the box comes with age one, age two, and age three, which is the basic game, and that is all I've played at this point. Is because I wanted to get the basic game, uh, you get a grasp on the basic game before we moved on to other things. But the box also comes with three things that are technically expansions. There's the fourth age, and then there's uh, I think a Milestones expansions and a Famous People expansion. The latter two have more of an expansion feel to them. The Age 4 thing has more of a... It really, it's a we wanted to have this all along, and it was just a question of how if the Kickstarter got high enough to have more cards in the box. So, I like it. If the theme sounds like something that you're interested in, it definitely feels like the theme. I would not recommend it if... You really want thematic, highly interactive sort of thing. The interaction is pretty minimal. You can, whenever you're drawing cards, you can draw out of the discard pile, so there's some interaction in what you're willing to discard or not. It could be fairly described as dry. So, but I I think it was fun. I liked it. That was Progress Evolution of Technology by NSKN Games. And I think, uh, you played uh, a recent Kickstarter, too, right, Jay?
1: Yeah, so I kickstarted, if we're disclosing, I kickstarted uh, Zia Legends of Adrift System, which, so I'm, I'm never quite clear on the, how it breaks down. I think it's one of those 4X things. Basically, the way it works is you've got these tiles with hexes on them that are the board, and so it's always a randomized board. and Basically, the way you get victory points, they call them fame, is by doing things that bring you fame. So, like, exploring has a potential to get you fame. Going around trading gets you fame. Shooting down the other players gets you fame. Gets you a bounty, too, probably, but it gets you some fame. So it's it's a good game in that there's a lot of different ways to play it. It's very, very modular. In fact, one of the things with the Kickstarter he talked about was that he wanted to make it easily expandable where I haven't checked if it's all up yet, but on their website they've got it that there's going to be an exchange where you can make your own 3D printed models to be the ships. Because the the ones in the box are very pretty ships that they've got. He'll, he's got templates so you can make the boards for your ship. All of the pieces, you can make your own iteration of everything in the game, so you can expand it however you like to fit your needs. In the gameplay as it is, the other major way that you can play the game is there are missions that involve going to various places and doing basically die rolls to determine how successful you are. I really like it. It's a very versatile game. You... One of the games I played with it, one of the the like two majorly in contention to win the game the whole game through, one of them was just trading, had found a nice little trade route and was going back and forth between a couple of planets, and the other guy was just the crazy explorer and was just every turn expanding the board out and doing missions based on the new places that were found. It's got lots of little bits and within the game, it's also very customizable that, so you start with a ship and there's an option to buy a new ship and there's three levels of ships that you can get into and each one, you've got this board that represents the layout of the ship, and then you've got little Tetris pieces that are things like engines and shields and weapons that you have, if you want to use, you buy them and you have to Tetris them onto your ship somewhere, they have to physically fit in and then, similarly, the cargo that you're buying and selling, or possibly harvesting, also an option, you have to actually put it somewhere in your ship. That might be a turnoff if you don't like that, but there definitely is some mechanics of trying to figure out how to fit everything actually inside of your ship. Also, I think it's made it to the full retail game, it's not just the Kickstarter but there's some very nice components in there. There's metal chips to be all the credits. He spent a lot of time getting all the plastic cubes to look very good. Everything in the box just looks amazing. You can tell he spent a lot of time on the materials, on the whole experience, trying to make it the best he could. This is one of the Kickstarters that I had most been looking forward to, and it did not disappoint me at all.
0: That was Zia Legends of Adrift System by Far Off Games. My next one up is going to be a actual civilization experience, I guess, and that is Patch History. This game is from Stuntkite Publishing and originally came out in Korea last year, but it only just now had a major U.S. release, possibly just major an actual English-language release uh, recently this year. The primary mechanic of this game is that you have these tiles, and they're pretty flimsy tiles, because they, ha- I mean, they have to be, When you'll, you'll, you'll hear when I talk about the mechanic. And each of the tile has squares or possibly rectangles on it. Your starting one is a 3x2 space, and then later tiles are going to be 2x2. Two two. And they might have four individual squares, or it might have one big square that takes up the whole thing. At the start of each turn, you have an auction to determine which of the new array of tiles you get. And then you have to take that new tile and integrate it into your existing tile set, which is your civilization. And it has to overlap with something that you already have. So either you're sliding it under something you already have and giving up part of the tile that you just bought, or you're covering up part of the tile that you already had, and so giving up something that you already had, and they call that patching. The tiles produce different sorts of resources. You have to have food, you need resources, I guess. Un- un- unfortunately, for, from my point of view, one of the resources is literally just called resources. <laughs> but that's the general I'm-going-to-build-something sort of thing. Oh, uh, oh,
1: when game designers need to borrow thesauri.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> I... I... <laughs> I guess part of the problem is that I just default to calling whatever the stuff is in the game resources right? in general. So, you know, maybe you could say the problem is on my end because that just happens to be the word I default to. But, eh, you know, so while that's going on, then you have trade routes and you start with one heading to the person to your left and with one coming in from the person to your left. And you can get a guy on the trade route and move him along, and when he gets to the other city, you can either propose an alliance, or you can try to start a war, and there's sort of a blind bid about whether or not you're going to be nice or hostile. And if you're both nice, then you can choose to start an alliance, but if either of you chooses hostile, well, you're going to have a fight of some sort. And with a lot of civilization sort of games, you have to try to balance military and get other things, and... Uh, You know, lots of interlocking parts. There are three eras, a total of 15 turns. And at the end of each era, there's a vote. And each player has three hidden cards so that they know what one of the possible vote subjects is going to be. So you can choose to try to manipulate things so that you know that you're going to end up on top of things. And in fact, One of the, if not the biggest, scoring source is going to be accumulating votes and then voting for something that you're really good at because the number of victory points that the vote is worth is equal to the total number of votes on it. So you can just get a tremendous number of victory points and whoever's last in a category is usually going to lose points. The game is very good. The patching mechanic is very... Uh, distinctive. It's not something that I think has been done before, at least not in something that I've been played. I do like Civilization games. It's probably best with four players. The time does not increase a terrible huge amount based on more players, because you mostly do a lot of things simultaneously. You don't have to. The rules are basically, well, do things simultaneously unless somebody insists that they not be simultaneous because they are really insistent on something that they're going to do, being contingent on what somebody else does, and then you have a a turn order you can go through. But I would suggest it's probably longer than the box reads. The the box says, I think, 90 to 120 minutes. The last time I played... Now, this is with people who had not played it before, and this includes instruction, but it was five hours. Now, that's not a normal playthrough, right? Clearly not a normal playthrough, but... 120 minutes might be a, a minimum unless you got, you're playing really quickly, which is fine. Just be aware of what you're getting into. Probably the the only actual problem that I would say with the game is that there can be a runaway leader issue. Because if you are doing really well, then you can generate a lot of money or convert other resources into money. And then at the start of each turn when the auction comes up, you can just control which tile you get and always get the tile that is best for you. So if you really start to fall behind, you know, if you're playing a four-player game and you're not doing that well, you are never going to get the good tile in or the tile that you need unless it's something that no one else wants, which is unlikely. So there is a runaway leader problem, I think, or a runaway loser problem, depending on on how it goes. So if you don't manage to stay close at the beginning. But overall, I think it's a very good Civilization game that is uh, definitely worth checking out. That's Patch History from Stunt Kite. I think you have our one not-brand-new game, Jay.
1: Right. So, oldie but a goodie. My group recently got a copy of Kingsburg, which is, I think, best described as a ice-placement game. Basically, it's played over five turns, and each turn goes through a number of phases. Basically, there's three, three sets of rolling your dice and then placing them based on your roll, followed by a fight. And then you've also got a board of buildings that you can build. So, to place out, you have 3 d d6. You roll up your dice, the, turn, the, the phase is done in inverse order, so the lowest person goes first. You can place as many or as few dice as you like on any one space, but you have to exactly equal. So if you want the four space, you can put a four, or you can put two twos, but you can't put a five. So, I mean, you have to roll well to get to the higher stuff that's giving you better things, Or if you roll high, you can go for more lower-ranked things. But so it definitely gets into an interesting dilemma of, do I go for the smaller thing and risk being blocked, because everything you can only take once, or do you go for something now? You know, the classic worker placement conundrum. You're doing all your placements basically to get resources, You then use those resources to build buildings, each of which has different effects on how the game plays. For instance, there's one that will let you once per phase go up or down one on your dice instead of being fixed in the specific spot. But then a lot of it also has to do... So one of the resources that you can get for the turn is soldiers, and then there are buildings that will give you more permanent soldiers. But at the end of each year, there's some semi-randomized, unknown monster that you all have to fight off. And if you succeed, you get glory. And if you don't, they burn some of your stuff down. And, I mean, that's that's the basic gist of the game. It It's really well done. It's, mm, it's definitely an interesting game, especially if, if you like worker placement. The rolling of the dice gives you a very interesting give you a very different worker placement where you're not just, I'm going to take the best spot right now, it's you have to work out what is the best spot based on what dice I rolled. The one problem, though, is since it is die rolls and there are, you know, the higher ranks are definitely better spots in some ways, you do run into issues where just you can't roll so you're never able to do very well, or somebody's rolling really well and is taking the other good spots. That said, there are a few catch-up mechanics built into it. I have not played it enough to to be able to say if they can fully compensate for bad die rolls, but I have friends who are bad enough at die rolling that I'll probably be able to tell you that at some point. (laughs) That's Kingsburg. It's an oldie, but it's a goodie. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you like worker placement games.
0: Do you guys just playing the base game, or are you playing with To Forge a Realm? Just the base game. Ah, that's interesting, because I, I know a lot of people are of the opinion that... Well, I guess depending, if they're if they're on an uncharitable moon, they'll say, Kingsbury is not worth playing without the expansion, or <laughs> if they're feeling nice, they'll say, you will never, like, it's so much better with the expansion, you'll never want to go back. The expansion adds in more rows of buildings, alternative rows of buildings for, right, this is your own personal board, uh, characters, which are basically, you, you know, you have your own player power, an event that flips up at the start of each turn, that sort of stuff, so... My next one is Machi Koro and this is a Japanese import but not not by AEG. It actually originally <laughs> came out in Japan in 2012 and Machi Koro means I think roll city in Japanese or something like that. IDW I think brought it to the to the US. Uh, this is a very light game and what each player is doing on their turn is rolling at the start of the game at least, a single die. It's one six-sided die, and each player is going to have some number of buildings in front of them, and these are cards, and each building will have one or more numbers at the top of it. If you roll the appropriate number, then the building will trigger and do its thing. There are some buildings, they're green, that only work when you roll the die. There are some buildings that are red that only work when you're a rolls the die and those are generally I'm going to steal something from the person who just rolled the number and then there are buildings that are blue that trigger when any player builds their die and you start with a couple of basic buildings and you have four landmarks which are once per game buildings you can buy and when you have bought all four of those you win the game and one of those is, I think is the train station lets you roll two dice so then that expands up a greater range of building. Everything is just getting coins, basically. You're getting coins, or you're stealing coins, or you're spending coins. You have a, a tableau... Not a Tableau is not the right word. You, but you, you have a set of cards to buy, like the Kingdom cards in Dominion that are out there. There are already several expansions for the non-English versions of the game that I'm, I'm sure will reach this one. Now, when, when I was... Placing my most recent Cool Stuff order, I might got Machi so I almost took Magic Coro back out and just put in a couple of Star Wars LCG Force packs that I'm, I'm behind. But I ended up sticking with Magic Koro, and I the reason I ended up going with that was I think, well, this is a, a pretty light one. Hopefully this will be another thing I can play with Katie. Well, that turned out not to be the case. One of... It, okay so let me back that I was saying first of all this is obviously random fest right you yes. know your your turn is rolling a die so you know that going in if you hate 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 random then you're just not gonna like this if if your whole you know my turn is I roll a die and see what happens you're, you're not gonna like this and that's not my favoritist sort of game but you know I, I knew what it was and I got it and that's that's fine uh, but there's no Adjustment for the number of players. And so, in a two player game, the green buildings, the ones that only trigger on your turns, are just bonkers. Because in a two player game, they have the possibility of triggering every other turn. In a four player game, they can only possibly trigger every fourth turn. So, the relative value of blue buildings as compared to green buildings is drastically increased in four players. And I think it's just not balanced at all for a two-player game. In fact, I, I right, it's, it's random, and I'm never going to play it enough to throw and do breakdowns, but I, I think that there's actually a just dominant strategy in two players because there's one building that's green that covers two and three, the the bakery, and then there's a green building that's a four, the convenience store. The bakery gets you one coin when you roll a two or a three. The convenience store gets you three coins when you roll a four. And then one of the, one of the landmarks, the supermarket, I think, increases the coin production of both of those buildings by one. So I think that the correct thing to do in that game is just always buy those two buildings until they run out and then buy your supermarket and then go from there. Like there is just no reason to ever build up to the higher numbers, uh, it just ends up wasting your money. Uh, your opponent can do it, but if you're staying down and just rolling one die, then your opponent is just not going to get that much out of doing things like buying the mine, which gives you five coins every time somebody rolls a nine, but somebody has to roll a nine. And if your opponent is only rolling one die, it doesn't happen all that much. No. So, which is really... Uh, unfortunate. I mean, I don't. To me, at least for my purchasing purposes, being able to play a two-player was was pertinent, and it's it's okay for a player. It's, but uh, I, I think it's just unfortunate. My one strategy tip would be always spend your money at least early on. If you've got like two coins and you're like, oh, do I bother spending? But yes, you should bother buying the building that costs one because. As long as that number gets rolled once, you get your money back. So just go ahead and spend it. But that is Machi Koro from IDW Games, at least in the U.S. Japan brand and Pandasaurus and other people elsewhere. And I think our our last two are sort of mm, repeat entries on the, the podcast. Because they're both things that got played at Gen Con but have now seen retail release. So what do you have, Jay?
1: All right, so you guys got to demo at Gen Con Lords of Zidid. I didn't get to play it until Mike got a copy, and I quite enjoyed it too. I I now want to get my own copy to play with my usual group. So we've talked about it before, so I'll go very brief through the, the gameplay, but basically it's a programming game where on each turn... Everyone starts by programming out all of their moves, and then you reveal and execute all of the actions, and hopefully you you aren't horribly messed up in your plans by somebody else. Although that is always hilarious. I kind of really want to play it at 5 just to see how much messing up with each other we get. Especially because I know that will frustrate one of my friends, at least. But so the conceit of the game is you're collecting adv- uh, various adventurers to go and fight monsters. So you, you, what you're programming is you're programming your hero who meanders around the countryside, ver- visiting various cities. And when he's in a city and he does something, the thing he does is he recruits somebody into your little stash of adventures. And they're monsters, and if he's in a monster space and he does something, if you can spend the correct type of adventurers, you defeat that monster, and by defeating the monster, you you get to pick your favorite two of three options of rewards that you get, and so then at the end of the game, uh, the it's a really interesting scoring mechanic. We've talked about it before, where. As I said, there's the, th- the three different reward things that you get, and at the start of the game, it's randomly determined the order that those are going to matter, and then it is a elimination. So you t- look at the first one, and whoever is the worst at the first one of those is eliminated. Then you go to the second one, and whoever is the worst at the second one gets eliminated. And finally, the third category whoever's the worst of the third category, gets eliminated. So I mean, that's, that's the basic mechanics of the game. I, I quite enjoyed it. I mean, of course, I'm a, I'm a programmer, so I like programming games. I definitely like, you know, with programming games like this, or like Robo Rally, trying to figure out what you think the other people are going to do in a way that you minimize them messing with you. I mean it was hilarious when I played it how many times we would reveal and somebody would be like oh thank god he's not coming my way to mess with me yeah it is
0: it is different from Robo Rally in that you don't all have to go to the same places right. so the entire point of Robo Rally is god only knows what something. random interactions everything is going to have whereas this you might or you might not you have the option of deliberately trying to go away from other people, and you will interfere with each other. But you may not be completely out of stuff because if right, if if you go to a city and collect a, a hero and or a soldier or whatever they are, and it's what peasants, archers, knights, priests, and wizards, something that like sounds that sounds
1: right. Yeah, if you
0: go first and you grab one, you might grab the one that I wanted, but I probably get something. And there's a little
1: awkward. One of the fun things is trying to guess, are they going to go? So, I mean, I actually had one point in our game where I was like, I actually want the second thing in. You're before me. I'm kind of actually hoping you do grab the guy. So when I grab, I get that second one.
0: Yes. And they're always, well, they're, they're always in order from least valuable to most valuable. Although yeah. it, you don't necessarily want the more valuable one because you might specifically need the least valuable one. But yes, it, 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 it value wise, it's often preferable for you if somebody goes in there and grabs one first. Clear out those peasants, please. Uh, and there's, they're right, there's the little mechanic where, but three or four times a year you can, or is it just three? You, you have, it's an auction, but though, it's only an auction oh, yeah. to the extent that you want to use it, that you don't want to disclose everything that you have. It's mostly just whoever has the most of the different kinds of heroes sitting behind their screen gets some sort of reward. So there's kind of a reward for accumulating, for, for yeah. having accumulated and not had the chance to go defeat the monsters. That, of course, is the big interference with the other players is if you and I are both trying to take out the same monster and you get there and beat the guy, and then I show up and uh, do, do nothing. Yes. Uh, I got nothing. But yeah, this is hilarious. So if you buy this, we will all own our own copy of Lords yes. of Zidit because I also own Lords of Zidit. I I got that. If you saw my Twitter post, I got like Lords of Zidit and Camel's Cascade and Matching Coro and Progress. They all came right at the same time, and I got in patch history the week before, and I got. I got a trains, a couple of trains maps. I haven't been able to to play the trains maps yet, and I have not been able to play my own copy of Lords of Zidit yet. But obviously, I liked it enough to go buy it. So, because it, it, right? What Mike and I demoed it on Sunday at Gen Con, so of course it was long sold out by then. But no, that's that's pretty good. And this is what I, I'm gonna tell what I'm gonna assume is a cute story. And if you guys don't like it, too bad. (laughs) So, Lords of Zidit is uh, a libelud, and so Isn't it's, it, well, that's the publisher, which means I think it's distributed by Asmodee in the U.S., and it's set in the same world with the same art style as Seasons, and when these boxes, the, the, the box, the various boxes came with various games, and this, this one, and I got Lords of Zidit out, and Benjamin, my four-year-old, looks at this one, and he goes, Daddy, that one looks like Seasons! I'm like, yes, my son, I have taught you well. <laughs> well done. So, uh, that's right. I'm I'm turning him into a model of myself. Poor child. Poor, poor child. Uh, anyhow, so that is Lords of Zedit. My final one for the day is the battle at Kemble's Cascade. And this is from Z-Man. I also did a demo of this at Gen Con. And those who were listening to them may remember I that the guy who was doing the demo got the rules wrong, which made the end of the game really awkward. And I'm like, I I think there's some chance he messed that up, but I can't buy it not knowing what the rules actually are. <laughs> so, it ultimately did sell out at Gen Con, but at the point of time I did the demo, I could have still bought it, but I'm like, no, I gotta... I'll just have to wait and, and see how it works later. Uh, but I ended up getting it. And The Battle at Campbell's Cascade is thematically based on essentially 80s space shooter games, Galaga, R-Type, Asteroids, these sort of, you know, some combination of side-scrolling games and the sort of free-for-alls where, you know, your ship can drift one way and be shooting the other way, and so you all have these...
1: Proper physics.
0: Yes, yeah, but it also has right like laser bolts that you can dodge out of the way of. So maybe not. Yeah. I mean, let's let's. Th- <laughs> yeah. So what you have in this is a you are a ship with a captain. You've got a picture with a little eight bit. I I always just take the red one. There's there's no difference. But the one of them yellow I think is like this hawk guy. It's totally Falco from Star Fox. <laughs> And your ship is moving on to this board that will scroll every turn. You have five rows of these cards that go out and they come with little trays. And at the end of every turn, everybody who's still in the bottom row gets scroll pushed up to the next row, right? Because the screen of the video game is moving along and dragging you with it. So they get scroll pushed, and then you get rid of the bottom row, slide the other four trays down, and then now you put the empty row up top, and you flip another four cards off the, the deck onto it that'll define what the next terrain is. And so as you're, you're going through the game, you'll there are hordes, hordes is an exaggeration, there, there are squadrons of bad guys that you can blow up for, the currency in the game is called balonium, so uh, <laughs> excellent yes and so on each turn you can fight on the board and your default is you get to move one space and shoot once with your basic gun which is you know one little energy shot that does one damage and it travels forever until it hits something and then you can overcharge to take a second move or fire Yeah, even at the start of the game you have to pay energy to rotate your ship so uh, when rotation determines, I guess you're technically rotating your turret because that defines not where you're moving, but where you're, which direction you're firing. And then on other turns, you might want to power down and shop, which lets you buy new things. You can buy better weapons like missiles that explode and hit a target and that have a splash damage or... A gamma beam that shoots down the entire rest of the row or column, and including going through things that would normally block it. You can get a laser that lets you take lots of little shots, that that sort of thing. Or you can upgrade your engines. You can get shields. You can improve your rotary cage so it doesn't cost you energy anymore to rotate your turret. And you accumulate points by sometimes by blowing up things on the other board. You can. Shoot other players and put PvP markers on them. If another player's ship dies while you're on the board, you get two glory, and then you can get bonuses if you have PvP markers on it. They have achievements out, so an achievement might be like run into three things in one turn.
1: Ooh, I like that one.
0: You know, or run into a boss part because right at the right when you scroll to the end, there's this big huge boss that takes up the, like two entire rows. Or put PvP markers on multiple other players in one turn. Have lots of PvP markers in yours, have upgraded ship. There's there's four of them out at all times, and then the instant that someone achieves one of them, then they take it and it gets replaced. Everybody also has a mission. You might the shopaholic wants to shop a lot. There's somebody who wants to get scroll pushed a lot, somebody wants to a miner that wants to shoot at asteroids. And uh, there's this really clever thing with your health and your energy and getting shot at where unless you're actually directly running into something, you don't immediately take damage. What, you do, what happens when you shoot at somebody else is you don't hit them, you increase their threat level because, right, you, you shoot your laser and it doesn't hit them right away. It just shoots this pellet at them across the screen. And then on their next turn, they have to move out of the way. So on your turn, every space that you move reduces your threat level by one, which is a problem if you power down and try to shop when you have lots of threat, because then you don't move. So, you you know, you try to move as much as you can to clear threat, and then whatever threat that you have left, that then actually damages your ship. And damage is the exact same thing as energy, you just have the one tracker you are going to blow up over the course of this game. Everybody Where is going to blow up over the course of the game multiple times, which is the one thing that is thankfully not thematically true is that you don't start over from nothing when your ship blows up. When your ship blows up, you respawn with all your stuff. <laughs> so you just come in from the bottom of the screen on your next turn. So, But everybody else gets some glory, some victory points for for you having blown up.
1: So how many lives do you get per quarter that you put in?
0: Uh, well, um, <laughs> I don't know. You, I guess you could figure out how many games you're going to play of it and then figure out how much you paid for the game and then calculate it out that way. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know. But uh, I think it, it works really well. I think there might be a need to do some sort of house rule on the gamma beam. It seems extremely powerful. So the first time you play it, buy that one. It's really good. You can do things like blast multiple other players at the same time, or if you can get in behind the boss, and you've got a powerful gamma beam. You could just like shoot across the entire row and and blow up multiple sections of the boss at once. It's got some uh, nifty things like that. It's a great theme. I think that it does a lot of mechanics that really embody the theme really well. It plays fun. If you know nothing about the sort of weird conventions of these old video games, that is probably going to impede your fun, because you're not going to understand, like, why it is the screen scrolling, for example, if the video games do that anymore? I, I don't know. Other than to be retro?
1: Yeah, no, no video games are as awesome as this type of thing, no.
0: <laughs> I don't know. But that is... The Battle at Kempel's Cascade from Z Man Games. And that wraps that wraps up everything we were gonna talk about. Jay, or did, did you have any, any anything else you wanted to to mention? A shout out for something that's on Kickstarter that you're like, go back this, I want to make sure it succeeds or
1: No, I've been trying to avoid
0: Kickstarter recently. <laughs> that that, that can be much, wise sometimes. Yeah, uh, spent
1: too much money there. Wait till after Christmas.
0: as we are speaking, the Dark Ages Vampire uh, or sorry, Vampire Dark Ages Kickstarter ends in less than forty eight hours.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: And I would like to I would like to get it. I, I don't know if I should tell Katie that I am going to spend hundred dollars on a role playing book though. <laughs> I don't know. Might not go well. Uh let's see, what can I oh let me say this. This is not a Kickstarter, but uh, do you know the the GMT P five hundred I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your silence as a no. Uh, no.
1: Nope. Is, that, is that a race?
0: No. Uh, so, G- GMT Games is a publisher. They do lots of war, game, war games. They have some other stuff, but they have lots of war games and chits and tokens and sort of thing. Uh, they have a program called the the P500. It used to be literally 500. It's not anymore. I don't know how they determine what the number is. And what it essentially is is a fancy pre-order program And so you you can go on their website and and make a P500 order of a game, and they don't charge you or anything at that point in time. But what happens then is when they get a certain number of people who have placed a conditional pre-order on the game, which used to be 500, then they'll be like, oh, okay, now we can go ahead and arrange to publish this game for the first time, or do a reprint of the game, as the case may be, and then they'll send an email out to everybody who put in, said they pre-ordered, said, okay, the charge date is going to be X. And, you know, and then everybody else knows at that point, and then they can start pre-ordering and jump on. And it's a way to let them kind of get out some smaller games.
1: Gage interest, yeah. Okay, I had heard of that, I just didn't get the name of it at the time. Okay.
0: Yeah, so I... I don't know when I'm going to be able to play it, because you really want to have six players for it, I think, but there is a game called Here I Stand, and it is about the Protestant Reformation. <laughs> hey, I well, here's... Nerd. Yes, well, it, he, well, the funny thing is all right, it's about the Protestant Reformation, but I, I don't know, just disclosure: disclose, yes, I, I'm Catholic, and as irrational as it is, Catholic Church-related things in a board game will, in fact, help me, like, Navigador definitely I like that game better than I would have it tickled my fancy more than it would have because Saint Xavier if I recall correctly was one of the characters in the game so anyhow I, I went to Saint Xavier High School mm-hmm. and remember unless you're watching the x-men it's Xavier not x Xavier anyhow uh, but so yeah here I stand is a it, it, right it's a six player game and it's and two of the players are, the Protestants, and the Catholics, and they're kind of doing their own tug-of-war for the religious hearts and minds, and then I think there's England, France, the Ottomans, and then the Austro-Hungarians, maybe? But uh, it's out of print right now. It's on the P500 reprint list, and I have gone in and put an order for that. So, if a, a, a big, heavy strategy game about the Protestant Reformation is... The sort of thing that that might interest you. Go go put in an order for that so I can get the next reprint of the game <laughs> from P500. I- I'm just saying. Yeah, and the title is a reference to a a mini speech that, that Luther gave. It's like here I stand, I can no other. It's about how he can't be Catholic and and can't stop arguing about things when they're Germany at this time has... Right, he's from Germany. And so they, uh, they're kind of the center of the conflict initially. Anyhow, so that's my last little shout-out. Uh, GMT, here I stand. Go help me get a copy of that. And But more importantly, go to BoardGameGeek or JackVassel.org. Bid on stuff. If you don't want to appear on this show, bid on other things. Don't expect to get things cheap because a lot of board gamers are. Except for us, we're we're pretty cheap. But yep. like AEG in past years has put up a design an L5R card, and this year they put up a design a Doomtown card that is currently at two thousand six hundred dollars. <laughs> the L5R card has gone for about three grand or so. So I mean, like when you see the guy, like when there's like multiple the sorrow, how that they've then made more experienced of sure that characters, and the new order includes a, like, his wife, I think. Mm. I mean, that came out of one of the prior years Jack Vassal Memorial Fund auctions. So, go check that out. But, uh, you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can visit us on the web at strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, where you can also leave us a review or rating. That helps make it easier for other people to find the show. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Strange Assembly. You can also email me directly. I'm chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear feedback, be it positive or negative. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.